it was an incredible session to be on that committee. I, I will tell you, we had some great legislation that passed. We had some that didn't get over the finish line, but it was all about making our tax code, making our revenue sources more fair for working families in our state. We made huge strides and we've got a lot of distance yet to cover, but I'm excited about being here for all of it. The House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome to Capital Ideas. I bet you already know that this is the podcast where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus and the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. We're not really at the Capitol quite yet for obvious reasons, but you get the picture. It's just a matter of time. Today's Capital Ideas come from State Representative April Berg. April just wrapped up her first session representing the 44th Legislative District. She's vice chair of the House Finance Committee and also serves on the local government and education panels. April lives in Mill Creek, and she's got quite a story to tell. We recorded this remotely a few days ago, and here's how it went. Welcome to Capital Ideas, Representative April Berg. I'm really honored to have you here. This will be our first chance to have a a good conversation. I'm glad that you're with us today. This was your first session as a state lawmaker. It was an unusual session in so many ways. There were so many new lawmakers this session that I think that an important thing for us to do right now would be to just give you a couple of minutes to do sort of an elevator speech introduction of yourself. What's your story? Dan, thanks so much for having me. My name is Representative April Berg. I represent the 44th Legislative District that includes Mill Creek, the city of Lake Stevens, the city of Snohomish, a little bit of Everett, and a little bit of Marysville. I am the first Black woman to represent this district, and we're just a little bit north of Seattle. I got here uh, kind of a traditional route. I came through the school boards. I mean, we have a lot of amazing school board directors that I'm serving with this year, and I am currently still on the school board in Everett, and I'm a former school board director in Edmonds. I'm also a former small business owner, used to work in aerospace, and I was on the city's planning commission for my city right here in uh, in Mill Creek. I will tell you, uh, me and my family, we've been in uh, Snohomish County for over 25 years. I've got six amazing kiddos, two of which graduated UW, two who have just graduated Western, and I've got two more in high school so I can see the finish line. But that's just a little bit about some of the lived experience that I'm bringing to these hallowed halls, and I'm just excited to be on your show. And I'm sure you'll be excited once your career takes you to those hallowed halls, um, yes. since the first session was done via Zoom and Teams and telephone. I have jokingly said to to some of my friends and colleagues that I know how to pass a bill, but I'm not quite sure where the bathroom is. So I'm excited about this this upcoming session. I just visited the legislative building in Olympia for the first time in about 18 months just last week. And so all I can do is assure you it's still there. And it, you've got a desk on the House floor with your name on it because I saw nice. it. 
<laughs> nice. That that confirmation actually means a lot. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> you belong. And and let me tell you, in doing some research on you for this podcast, since we hadn't had a chance to meet yet, I looked at the bills that you sponsored this session during your first session as a state lawmaker. You sponsored five bills, which is not unusual. All five became law. That's very unusual. Well, thank you for that. You know, it's funny. It didn't feel amazing real time, right? It felt like all of my bills felt like the right thing to do. And why wouldn't you vote for them? Why wouldn't these become law? And you'll notice kind of a variety in the bills. There's some some really big ones, major policy changes, and there's some smaller ones. And I laughingly say, you know, being the mother of six, I walk into a room and immediately want to clean it up. Right. I'm like, OK, the, the, something's out of place. And and you'll notice with a couple of my bills, that's what it is. An example would be the fire district commissioner bill where previous to the law taking effect, it was you could go from three to five and three to seven commissioners, but you couldn't go from five to seven. So as cities like the one I'm in, Mill Creek Grow, we couldn't we, we could have five commissioners. But if we wanted seven, we'd have to go back to three and then jump to seven made absolutely no sense, clearly an error, and it just needed to be cleaned up. So that was that was one of the the smaller, if you will, bills, but, but it's going to have a big impact for local fire districts and the communities they serve. I want to veer off for a second here and talk about your background a little bit more than you did in your introduction. I know that you were born and raised on the south side of Chicago and came to Oregon to go to school. I'm real interested in how you made that leap. It's maybe not what a lot of people would think. Well, that's perfectly logical. Yeah, that, and it's funny that you asked that question. I don't get asked that, I think, often enough because it, it should raise an eyebrow or two. But So, yeah, I was born and raised in the south side of Chicago, uh, a community called Hyde Park that I uh, love and adore to this day. Um, and I I did something that I guess was uh, not the usual. It felt fine to me, but I graduated high school in, in three years. Um, and I decided because, you know, at 17, I knew absolutely everything to move to California because why not? And and let's let's see what's happening there. And, uh, and I'll take kind of a gap year, if you will, because I'm doing stuff a little bit ahead of time. So decided to work and, and hang out with some friends in California. And, uh, and a funny thing happened earthquakes, floods, fires, and the Rodney King riots. Nothing, nothing like, uh, like those things, big, huge uh, milestones, life milestones to make you rethink uh, what you want to do in life. And I said, I got to go to college. And I thought Oregon would be a great place. It seemed great. It looked great on a map. It was right above California. So that seemed like a, a, a good way to choose a college. And and then I did what, what most 17-year-olds do when, when making that college choice after witnessing, uh, you know, a full-scale riot in their city. I called directory assistance, uh, called 411. And I said, hey, give me the name of a school in Oregon. And they said, Oregon State. And I said, perfect. So I called Oregon State. Again, this is pre-Google, pre-internet, pre-home computer for me. Uh, and and had them send me an application. I applied. I got in. Uh, I made my home in Corvallis and, and really never looked back from the Pacific Northwest after that. And while you were there, you became the youngest student body president and the first black student body president. That's yeah. not a bad thing to have on your resume. 
No, it's not. It was, uh, again, it was not something that was planned or strategic, but I got there and, uh, and, you know, funny enough, Corvallis, Oregon is a lot different than, uh, than Chicago. And so growing up in a community where, uh, where when you're black, you, you see black doctors, black judges, black teachers, black firefighters, uh, you can be and do anything, uh, black astronauts, right? Like, so that's, you know, the first black female astronaut comes from, from not too far from my house. And, and so I grew up just knowing I can do and be anything and, and going to a community at that point in the early nineties, mid nineties in Corvallis, it, it was very much, um, a life-changing kind of event to, to all of a sudden be put in a box and compartmentalized to say, you can only do X, you can't do Y. That didn't really sit well with me. So as a sophomore, I decided to run for student body president. As a sophomore, I won. So not only was I the first Black person, I was also the youngest in the school's history to, to become student body president. And I was one of only a handful of women at that point. And, and then you had, um, you had me come along. So it was a lot more historic than I knew at the time. And as a result, there was, there was a little pushback my senior year. So, <laughs> so there's that. You are the vice chair of the house finance committee. That's not a bad post for a first year lawmaker to attain. You're also a member of the education committee, which makes a lot of sense based on your your background, and you're a member of the local government committee, which also ties in. But getting back to the finance committee, I know that you have been, and I may be making a long stretch here, but you've been the owner of a small business. You know about what it's like to pay taxes. Now you're learning much more about what it's like to Mm -hmm. make laws about taxes. Tell me about your experience as vice chair of the House Finance Committee. It was really a privilege to serve in that role, especially as a first-term lawmaker. And it was a really big privilege to be able to help steward some of the most significant revenue bills that we've had in, I think, 90 years in our state. So having that seat, having that place, having that role, and being able to use my lived experience as a former uh, small business owner, as well as, you know, a former employee um, and, and a current citizen of the state paying taxes, right? So there's all that lived experience I got to wrap up and, and bring to my commitment and, and to my responsibilities in finance. It was an incredible session to be on that committee. I, I will tell you, we had some great legislation that passed. We had some that didn't get over the finish line, but it was all about making our tax code, making our revenue sources more fair for working families in our state. We made huge strides and we've got a lot of distance yet to cover, but I'm excited about being here for all of it. We talked about how unusual it was that you got 100% of your prime sponsored bills signed into law, but I know your legislative career is nowhere near over. So tell me what you've been working on during this interim and what kind of bills you might be thinking about for the 2022 session. It's great to be um, batting a thousand, but I will tell you, I have a lot more at bats ahead of me, and um, and I'm being fairly, you know, strategic about um, about what I want to what I want to focus on next session. It is a short session. Um, number one priority, I'm going to figure out where those bathrooms are. I just got to get that done first and foremost as soon as I, I get to campus. But but after that, I'd love to. Uh, I'm going to be working on a couple of education priority bills. Um, one is going to be around college and the high school. I had a bill that did 
cross the finish line become a law that got ninth graders access to credit uh, to college in the high school credit. But there are um, a lot more fixes, if you will, to be done to that program. I mean, I say fix, and I'm, I, I want to make sure folks know I'm using air quotes. It's a great program. It does amazing work, um, but it, it really hasn't been codified in uh, in a traditional way like some of our other programs, uh, such as Running Start. So, so really making sure that we flesh out what that program does, how it serves families, how it serves students, um, and making it just more robust. The other thing uh, I'll be working on is a bill that, that really speaks to um, parent partnerships. It's an education uh, it's a it's a type of education in our alternative uh, learning area that you don't you see in every district but you don't see in every district. Um, I say that because a lot of folks don't know about it. So what I'm trying to do is uh, what I am doing is working on a bill that will actually um, clarify what it is, what it does, and who it serves. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, the other one that didn't you know there was to your point there were some bills that I sponsored that all of them did get across the finish line that I prime sponsored, but I was co-sponsor on quite a few bills that didn't make it across. And I will tell you, um, even no matter where you are in terms of your name being on a bill, whether it's second, third, fourth, or fifth, I feel like they're all near and dear to my heart. So, so one that um, I do want to continue pushing forward is the anti-displacement bill that myself and Representative Harris Talley, she's the prime sponsor. I'm the, the first co-sponsor on it. And um, and that that bill is still alive. And we are going to still be talking about anti-displacement legislation and, and what that means for working families. What is anti-displacement so that, thank you for asking that. It is what traditionally is seen as a homestead exemption. So when you think uh, traditionally about legislation, it talks about homestead exemptions, exemptions on your property tax for your primary residence. This is uh, now we are calling it an anti-displacement because truly that is what it that is what it is. Um, it's it's anti-displacement. It's uh, basically raising the threshold for deduction um, of your primary residence amount to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Um, so that is a bill that is, um, it's important. It's one that we need to move across the finish line with other progressive tax reform. And I say that um, because it's been paired a little bit with wealth. Um, we know that money has to come from somewhere. And so if we uh, provide this exemption, the thought would be that it would be backfilled with a potential wealth tax. Does this $250,000, does that apply to the first $250,000 of valuation, or is that yes. for houses worth less than $250,000, which I don't think there are any? So, there, you know, isn't that true? I, I'm not, I just saw the median housing price for, for Seattle homes was, oh, I think it was like $840,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, so it is, it's the first $250,000 of value would, be, uh, would not be taxed. You know, I, there's one thing, there's a message that I've been talking with folks about this this whole session, uh, the interim, and it's a message of moonshots. And and when folks say, oh, April, what's a moonshot? What do you mean? It's something that, that seems impossible, right? Just that couldn't be done, won't be done. Um, and But then all of a sudden it becomes completely necessary, right? It, it's just like, how could we not? And, and that to me is what happened last session. We had a session of moonshots and there were things, um, for instance, the bill I, I passed on menstruation equity, right? Ending period poverty, that bill, that bill had been around for a while in different forms, different venues. I mean, it passed the, the Senate hadn't, couldn't even get really 
through the committee in the house and but it became well yeah we have to do this same with free or reduced lunch copays that's another bill that so many amazing anti-poverty anti-hunger champions had had advocated for for years and it just could not get across the finish line this year it was like we have to do this we have to we have a moral obligation to feed our children and you know this public health crisis this pandemic has shown us that poverty in so many ways can just come down to policy choices and as legislators, we have to be very aware of that, and we have to make choices to end poverty. And so, again, back to moonshots, back to you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars of your uh, first two hundred fifty thousand dollars being deductible on your primary residence. Yeah, it's a moonshot, but you know, we got to start talking about it. We we have to start having these conversations about tax reform, about ending poverty, about where folks are in their kitchen table finances, um, and it's some point it becomes so necessary that it gets done. I don't know for anti-displacement if it's this year, but at some point I do think it will get done. It sounds like you're into doing big things. And I think that's something that characterizes many of the new legislators that were sworn in last January. I'll be interested to see how this cohort behaves going forward because it's very exciting. It's been great talking to you. I appreciate it, Representative April Berg, that you took a few minutes out to be with Capital Ideas today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. This has been fantastic. So that is Representative April Berg. Next time you're wondering what kind of folks are working for you in Olympia, picture her. You'll feel a whole lot better. You'll also feel better if you subscribe right now to Capital Ideas on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your state and your state government. What goes on here matters. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening. 